Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Good morning, church. You're welcome. It's nice to have all of you. My name is Robert Kyra, but most people choose to call me Bob. Whichever you call me is okay. Today I'm here to read the word, and we are in the book of Mark, chapter 5, 21 to 43. Mark, chapter 5, 21 to 43. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him honestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hand on her, that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in a crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she fell felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see, many th- you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue, a house in a synagogue's house, who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any farther? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted that no one should follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And he came in and said to them, Why make commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, but when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who are with him and entered into and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated little girl, I say to you, Arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And there were And they were overcome with great amazement, for he commanded them strictly that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given to her to eat. There ends the reading. May the Lord bless you. 
of you have met um, Pastor Bob and his wife Caroline and their daughter Lily Jo, and you know that uh, they're beginning a work among uh, Ugandan immigrants in the Seattle area, and they meet on Friday nights at 7 o'clock. So if you are uh, aware of that on Friday nights, please pray for them or even consider joining them. I know they would love to have you come visit on a Friday night as well. And we're, we're so blessed uh, for, to have them as part of our church family as well. Um, this morning, we're continuing on our series in the book of Mark. I'm going to have you do something before we get started. In the pews in front of you or upstairs, I think there's some as well, you're going to find some post-it notes. Can you grab at least one post-it note um, and then pass one to somebody that doesn't have one. If you don't have post-it notes, like my whole family probably doesn't in the front row, then I'll give you some as well. Or you can come up uh, and, and grab some. We'll give one because there is no front pew for you to grab them out of. So, Thank you. Does anybody else need some? Okay, everybody's getting them? Good. I'll, I'll tell you what that's for later. Uh, <laughs> But don't doodle on it. Don't turn it into a mini airplane or anything like that. Just hold on to it. You can stick it in your Bible for now or something like that. So we'll, we'll, we'll circle back to those at the end. So, uh, you know, one of the things I was, I've been thinking about recently is um, what, what influences us or what forms us as people. We're, we're all spiritually formed by something. And when we talk about the spirit, we're talking about the inward self. So, so all of us are influenced, have been formed by various things. So, for example, uh, I grew up in a very, very, very small town in Northern California. Uh, and in the, on the coast, so the weather we're having now feels very familiar to me. In fact, this is a summer day in Eureka, California. Uh, fog. And uh, so I grew up in Eureka, California, and so the culture of the town that I grew up in, which is predominantly a logging and fishing town, uh, shaped kind of who I am. I grew up, uh, I was born in 1979, but uh, I don't remember that. Uh, I, I grew up, uh, I consider my chi- myself a child of the 80s and early 90s, because I do remember that. During that time, one of the things that formed me was my, uh, and this is partly my dad's fault, my love for the NFL, specifically, and don't throw anything at me when I say this, the San Francisco 49ers, who happened to win last night. <laughs> so that was the biggest groan I've ever heard in this building. That was awesome. <laughs> I keep it pretty low-key, but I do have a little bit of red on my shoe today, just kind of representing. <laughs> so we're all, we're all spiritually formed by something, but it doesn't just stop when we're younger, Right? Like as an adult, you, have been, you continue to be formed by things, by the, the media that you consume, by the TV shows that you watch. We're, we've been very formed in the last decade, really since 2008, by our smartphones. A, a thousand times a day, we check our phone. That didn't used to be a thing, but we've been formed, we've been conditioned, we've been trained to respond to the device in our pocket. So all of us are formed by different things, and, and, and we're influenced by these things. And the, the story that Pastor Bob just read is a, uh, the third in a series of stories that is deeply formative for the disciples that are with Jesus. So they're not really mentioned in this story, but we know that they've been with Jesus through his journeys. From the moment he said, come and follow me, they then just were kind of 
tagging along with him. And that's part of being a disciple. Part of being an apprentice is you are in the presence of the one that you're learning from. And you're watching what they do. You're listening to what they say. And then you're letting that spiritually, they are letting that spiritually form them. And so we saw like the, they were crossing the, crossing the water and a storm hit and they freaked out. And Jesus responded by stopping the storm. Whoa, that's going to do something. They're, they're going to tell that story for a long time, right? That's going to affect the way that they view Jesus. And then they, they get across the water and they meet a guy who's, who's crazy, lives in a graveyard, is possessed by a, a legion of demons. And Jesus delivers him and then says, now... I want you to go to 10 cities in the area and tell people about what God has done for you. That's going to affect the way that the disciples live their lives. So they are being spiritually formed as they're walking with Jesus. Now, we as a, as a church, we are, are, our primary, our sole um, source of our spiritual formation is God's word. It, it's what, we, what has been written and preserved for us in the Bible. And so some people may wonder, like, why are we just going kind of like verse by verse through the book of Mark? Like, shouldn't we be talking about relevant topics and things that are happening in the culture? And we do, we will. But the most important formation, spiritual formation in our life comes from knowing Jesus. And so these words, these stories have been preserved for us as well. We weren't there with them in the boat. We didn't get to see the demoniac up close. But we get to read about it now. We get to consider what it shows us about who Jesus is and how that should form us spiritually today. Does that make sense? So this is why this is important. This church has been around since 1950. There's been a group of people meeting because of Jesus since 1950. There's been multiple pastors, multiple generations that have been a part of this gathering. And the sole source for every generation, every pastor has been God's word. And so my, my hope for us is as we get into God's word, that you wouldn't, remind my, you wouldn't remember my sermon title or the funny illustrations or whatever, anything else, my, my 49ers fandom, um, that you'd remember who Jesus is today. So this story is meant to be formative for us. And um, we've seen up until this moment, the, the, the passage that, Pastor Bob just read, a series of stories that demonstrate that Jesus is not just an ordinary man. He's demonstrated that he has power over creation itself, over nature, as he calmed the storm. He's demonstrated that he has power over the spiritual world, that he is more powerful than any demonic force. And then as we just heard in this story, He's demonstrated that he has powerful power over the physical world as well, as he both heals a woman and brings a, a young girl back to life. Now, the backstory for this scene is Jesus and his disciples had just crossed back across the lake, and they went across that lake for one man, uh, an outsider to their culture, one that nobody else could control, but Jesus wanted him to be restored. So they go all the way across the lake, and then they come back. Now, when they had left the lake the first time, there were crowds of people at the shore because Jesus had been doing some pretty miraculous things and he'd been teaching some pretty important things. So people were, 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 had been crowding him. They left. Nobody knew who he was until he healed the man or freed the man. Then he comes back and the crowds are right there again. 
They're waiting for him. I don't know if they had a runner uh, or if they uh, had a spotter on the, the shore. Hey, his boat's coming back. But they were right there again. And what happens is in this, in this scene, as he enters the, the crowds, there's a really important man in the Jewish culture named Jairus. And there's really two kind of similar stories happening at the same time in this scene of Jesus' life. Um, one is the story of Jairus, and one is the story of this unnamed woman. Now, we know Jairus is influen influential in the culture. He's a, he's a religious leader, which in the Jewish culture was kind of the top, uh, top dog in the culture. Uh, they're an oppressed people. They were, over, they were ruled by the Romans. So, so uh, politically, uh, Jewish leaders, uh, you know, they weren't the top, top, but they were really important to the Jewish people. And so he had money. He had influence. He had probably a whole entourage, a whole crew of people. And he was important. But the other thing about Jairus is, despite all this, he was powerless to save his daughter. She was dying. We don't know her condition. Chances are been going, been, she had been struggling with it for some time. A lot of his contemporaries in the religious culture were already not liking Jesus. They were already wishing he would just go away. But Jairus had come to a point in his life where he realized he couldn't do anything to save his daughter. And he, I, we, we know that he must have heard something about Jesus to cause him to go to him and say, can you do something? He was desperate. He says to this, he says, my little daughter is dying. Please, come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. The cry of a desperate father. So Jesus, he doesn't say, well, you know, could you get some of your people off my back? Because you religious folks have been kind of pressing in on me a bit. No, immediately Jesus' response is, let's go. So Jesus starts to go, but then on the way, the crowds begin to crush again. They begin to surround Jesus. And it's difficult for him to even move without bumping into someone. And then a woman appears in the story. Now, we don't get her name, but we do get a little idea of where she sat in the culture at the time. Um, she would have been, because of her bleeding disorder, she would have been considered unclean in the Jewish culture. Untouchable. Un you don't marry somebody like that. You don't, you don't hang out with them. There is something weird and wrong with her, so do not interact with her. So she would have been considered an untouchable, unclean. We also get an idea that this woman has tried everything she can do to get healed. She's gone to all the physicians she could know. She has literally drained her financial resources to find some cure for what ails her. So this woman is broke. She's marginalized. And just like Jairus, she is powerless to save herself. What does she do? Well, Jairus says, would you please go to my house and put your hands on my daughter so that she might be healed? Well, this woman has a similar idea in mind. If she can just touch Jesus, maybe something will happen. And it does. She touches him and immediately she is healed. And Jesus feels it. He feels that something has happened. Some kind of transaction of power between him and somebody, but he doesn't know who. And so he turns to his disciples and he says, who touched me? They go, are you serious? Look at all these people. <laughs> Everybody's trying to touch you. How do we know? But, but Jesus wouldn't let it go. 
as she's trying to kind of sneak out the back after having been healed, he wants to identify her. And so she finally admits, it was me. And there's something significant about this as well. Because chances are, very good chances, she was known in her community. And Jesus wanted her to not just be healed physically, but he also wanted her to be restored socially. He wanted, her to, he wanted everybody to know this woman is different. She's been changed. She's been healed. So he wants a whole, a total restoration of her life. So we forget, right? What, what was Jesus going to do? Oh, he's going to heal Jairus' daughter. Meanwhile, folks come up to Jairus that probably that worked for him, and they say, it's too late. Your daughter's dead. But as we just heard in the story, it's not. Jesus, as he approaches Jairus' household, there's people already mourning and wailing. And this is actually, uh, I was reading some of the historical background here. This is actually a part of the Jewish culture to essentially make a big scene when somebody dies. So much so that you could hire people to do that. You could hire professional mourners and wailers out front. And so chances are, these people were ready to go. They were already lined up, like ready to, 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 to jump into action so they get their paycheck, right? And when Jesus comes up and he says, no, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. These same people mock him. They go, what are you talking about? But it's true. Jesus goes in and he heals this young girl. So these two people, they couldn't be any different. Jairus, with all his resources that he had, uh, the, literally the favor and the disposal uh, of, of, of so much authority, and then this woman with nothing, both in the same position. And the one thing they had in common other than the brokenness and the inability to change their circumstances, the other thing they both had in common was they both had a degree of faith that Jesus might be able to do something. Completely ends of the social, political, or wealthy spectrum, but they both had this idea. You know, in many ways, what we see here in our church today, sitting here in the pews and in the seats, is a reflection of what we see in this story. It's our faith in Jesus that unites us with him. Despite all our differences, Jesus is what we have in common. The grace of Jesus is the great equalizer of humanity. And because of Jesus, we gain friendship with God and with each other. Our, one of our kind of mission statements of, of our church is to love God, to love people, and to love our city. This flows out of the great equalizer of God's grace. So let's draw out a few features that I can imagine the disciples that were walking with Jesus were, were also learning as they walked with him. They were being formed by these things as they saw Jesus at, in action in, in, in these two particular situations. The, the first feature that we see in this story is that God's favor doesn't discriminate. God's favor doesn't discriminate. Um, in church and in a lot of the songs that we sing, we use the word grace a lot. God's grace. It's amazing grace we sing. Grace in the, in the original language, the, the, the Greek word is the word charis, which means compassion, kindness, 
favor. So when we say God's grace, this is the, the picture that we have. Of God is a compassionate God, that he is kind towards us, that his favor, like his blessings, are given to us. And another way of looking at it is grace is undeserved favor. We didn't do anything to earn it. And that's true in this story, right? This man and this woman, they, they didn't do anything to earn Jesus' approval. They, they didn't say, hey, we'll, we'll pay you for this, or we've been, we've been really good people in society, so you kind of owe it to us to do it. No. They simply made the request, and out of the grace of God, Jesus fulfilled that request. So God's favor, we see it in, in play in the story, doesn't discriminate. Whether for those in power or those who are marginalized, the favor of God is for everyone. The favor of God is for everyone. We've already seen Jesus cross the sea, go through a storm so that a Gentile, somebody that Jews never associate with, can be set free and restored. And we know that God's plan for restoration, and it was spoken of thousands of years before this moment to a man named Abraham. That through Abraham, through his family, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so we know that as Jesus comes, he's fulfilling that promise. The promise of redemption and restoration that would be for some people. No, no, for all people. For all people. So here is Jesus. He's going to help a man of influence and power. But Jesus doesn't, while he's on the way there, overlook the marginalized, the broke, the desperate woman. Why? Because God's favor is for everyone. A little sidebar here, but it connects with how we are spiritually formed and how we, how we live out the grace of Jesus. Did you know that when the world talks about human rights, that human rights are a concept that are implicitly rooted in the gospel of Jesus, implicitly demonstrated in the kingdom of God teachings that he gives. The, the Bible opens up with this declaration of the worth of all humanity that God has made. And even though Adam and Eve quickly reject God's rule, it still never changes their inherent worth. So we as believers, we can say, man, what amazing grace that God has given to us that we've received, but there are a lot of people that have not received it. They are still worth it. They are still inherently valuable, whether they have received the grace or not. And so as a result of this worth in humanity, God then gives his people moral laws. He says, don't murder people. Why? Because they are inherently valuable. Be generous to people that have needs. Why? Because they are inherently valuable. They're precious. They're made in my image. Be faithful in your relationships because people are inherently valuable. Human rights are rooted in biblical truth. And so all the laws that we have from the Bible and some even reflected in our current culture, they, are, they serve to highlight the worth of all humanity. This last week we remembered Martin Luther King Jr. And did you know that while everybody's throwing out the quotes and we name schools and our, our, our very county, King County, is named after him? 
while people throw out all these things and love to celebrate him one day a year, one of the things that's often overlooked about Martin Luther King Jr. was the foundation for his activism, the foundation for his struggle for equality and for equal rights for people. That foundation is the same foundation that is our foundation. It's the word of God. Martin Luther King was a Christian, and it was his faith that motivated him to take action. In talking about laws, MLK says this, how does one determine when a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal and natural law. Any law that uplifts human personality is just. Any law that degrades human personality is unjust. All segregation statutes are unjust because segregation distorts the soul and damages the personality. Do you see the connection between his fight for equality and the truth of who God is? God's law? In one simple phrase, he says this in another writing. He says, segregation is a blatant denial of the unity which we all have in Christ Jesus. This is what he was fighting for. This was the foundation of his activism. So Jesus made it very clear to his followers that he is for all people. His compassion is for the rich and the poor alike. His compassion crosses racial, religious, and political lines. So if we really want to follow Jesus today, if we were to be like those disciples 2,000 years ago, we have to be ready to cross the same lines. God's favor doesn't discriminate. And I love Titus chapter 2. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to how many people? All people. All people. So as followers of Jesus, our moral foundation is rooted in the biblical truth that from the womb to the tomb, all people deserve life and they deserve to know the eternity-changing salvation and favor of God. So you may be sitting here today or listening online and wondering, how do I get it? Like, how do I get God's favor in my life? Like, I can't ask Jesus right now to, to come to my house. He's not here. How do I receive the favor of Jesus? And this is where we see the second feature of this story that's so powerful. If you want the favor of God in your life, then any faith is enough faith. Any faith is enough faith. Just approach Jesus in faith. Verse 35, Jesus is on his way to heal this daughter, and they start laughing at him. No faith. The, the circumstances were too big. There's no way that Jesus was going to come through. It was too late. He may have been able to give her some medicine before that moment, but now that she's dead, it's, it's, it's all done. They began to laugh with him. So we've got these two people approaching Jesus with faith. And, and they come from different social positions, but with the same expression of faith. One man boldly approaches Jesus as he gets off the boat. Will you come to my house? Another woman sneaks up in the crowd just to touch his garment a little bit. And this culture was uh, probably more spiritually aware than ours. But there was also some misguided beliefs in this culture. There was a, 
an awareness of mysticism and magic, if, if the right words could be uttered or if, if the right potion could be, could be whipped up, then maybe, maybe something could happen. Uh, our culture maybe doesn't lean that way, but we, we do the other extreme. If, if science can just figure it out, if we can just develop the right medicine. I've been thinking about this recently, two years into a global pandemic, with all of the power of the scientific world at our fingertips. And this pandemic is going to last about as long as the average pandemic has last, lasts in history. The average pandemic lasts about two to three to four years. And I'm talking about thousands of years back. In all of our power, in all of our insight, we are still powerless to end things, end suffering, to save ourselves. So this woman, this man, they, they knew it as well. And in this moment in their lives, for the very first time, they placed their faith in the right place. In the right place. Now, they didn't know. They, they didn't know how Jesus might do this. They didn't even fully know Jesus, but they knew just enough. They had heard some stories. Maybe they had heard him teach before he had left the lake the first time. So this wasn't out of the blue for them, but they knew enough about who Jesus was. They thought, maybe he can do it. Maybe he can do it. Any amount of faith is enough faith. What Jesus wants is for us to know his heart, to know his power, just enough that our faith in him is greater than our fear. That's the amount of faith you need to have. Just a little bit more than your fear. You don't have to be afraid what's, what's happened in the past, in your experiences. You don't have to be afraid of what's happening in your current moment. You just have to have enough faith to overcome your fear. Verse 35, we see this. What does Jesus say as they scoffed at him, as they, as they announced that she, she was dead? He says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Faith is the antidote to our fear. You just need to have faith in the power of Jesus. You don't have to know how. You don't have to have enough uh, mental strength or, or theological depth. You just have to believe. Now, I, I grew up in a, in a church that had a little bit of the name it and claim it kind of vibe to it. Like if you just speak it out, it's going to happen. $10,000 is going to be in your account this afternoon. If you give me 100 first. You know, like, and so as a kid, I started to think that the faith that I needed to have was faith in my faith. Like, if my faith was a muscle, I just needed, it just needed to be big enough and strong enough, and then boom, the things are going to happen. That is a misguided faith. That's a misguided faith. It's not faith in faith. It's not, it's not a, like a, 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 a meter that if, if it's up high enough, you can accomplish great things. It's faith in Jesus. And how much does it take? Not much. Jesus said mustard seed. In this case, enough for the woman to touch Jesus, to ask him to come to my house. From there, I don't know what's going to happen. But it just takes a little bit of faith. Enough to ask, to believe, to take a step. Any faith in Jesus is enough faith. So 
So the other thing is, the third feature in the story that we see is that Jesus' authority points us to future completion. Jesus' authority points us to future completion. Now, this story doesn't tell us why sometimes our prayers aren't answered. It doesn't answer all of the philosophical questions about the problem of evil in the world today. But what this story does do is it grounds us in the power and the authority of Jesus. So while we may live this life, and most likely we will, with some unanswered questions and some unmet prayers, and we will most certainly endure hardship, and all of us in this room will one day die, we also know that for those who have placed their faith in Jesus, that we can trust our eternity with him. That what he says he will do, he will do. So even in this case, he says to, to, to Jairus, I'm going to go and we'll heal your daughter, but she dies. Does that change Jesus' ability to keep his promise? No, it doesn't. And the same is true for us. When Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you in heaven, that there will be a full restoration where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more sin. Does that change if I don't get what I want right now? No, it doesn't. He will keep his promises. There's this story of these three men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were, were um, ordered by cultural kind of political decree to bow before an image of the king. And as believers in God, they couldn't do it. And so they suffered the penalty of that decision. They were going to be burned alive. You find this story in Daniel chapter 3. And right before they went into the blazing furnace, they say this. They say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand, speaking to the king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They were so, so confident in their position as the sons of God, that whether God delivered them or not, they were unwavering in their commitment to him. In the end, it's all going to be okay, whether we live now or not. So again, what we see in this story is that Jesus' power over sickness and death demonstrates that he has the authority to carry out what he has promised. It points to a future completion, a, a, a time where we will be free fully and completely from the power of sin. And we will be free fully and completely from the finality of death. And Jesus today promises us that. Jesus saves. And our eternity doesn't start someday, but it starts now as we approach him in faith. Hebrews 9 says, Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. That's you and I. Jesus' arrival initiated God's plan. His plan to free us from the power, the fear of sin and the fear of death. To redeem us and to restore us. Just like he has demonstrated in these stories that we read from Mark. And Jesus' favor, it is for all people. All people. No matter how messed up, how broken, 
all people can receive this favor. So my prayer this morning is that our hearts will be formed more by the grace of Jesus than the fears of this world. That your life may be oriented in a way that you can receive his favor. And this morning, I hope you've been reminded that when you place your faith in Jesus, you can throw off your fears and come to him knowing that he looks at you with favor, with kindness, with compassion, with love. Any amount of faith is enough faith. We'll have the worship team come back up, and this is where the post-it notes are going to come in, all right? Some of you this morning have believed some things where that Jesus doesn't care about the situation in your life. Or that he's not capable of doing something miraculous. You, you believe that. And so you don't even ask. Maybe you were asking for a season and you stopped. And this morning what I want us to do in a symbolic way is I want us to bring our requests for healing to Jesus. It could be physical healing. It could be relational healing. It could be an addiction that you're wrestling with. But I want you to write it on this post-it note. And in just a moment as we're singing this song, I want you to, to spend some time when your heart is ready. When you have enough faith, <laughs> doesn't take much, I want you to come up and we're gonna, we have a board that we're just going to put it on. And it's going to be a visual demonstration for us as a church. Number one, that we're all in the same boat, just like this woman and this man. We all have things that we're powerless to be freed from, powerless to overcome. And yet we all by the grace of God, can come to Jesus and we can say, will you be present in my suffering? Will you heal me in this area? Jesus wants that. and We have the ability to do that. Amen. So as we sing this song, I'm going to invite you to come up and we'll move the board more to the center and just go ahead at any point and put your request on the board there. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for reminding us today of your power and of your grace. And even though we aren't tangibly getting to walk with Jesus today, we, we get to, to do it still. By the power of your spirit, we get to, to experience the same things that we read about in scripture. So would you form us as your sons and daughters to have faith greater than our fear, to rest in the grace that's been given to us. And Lord, to, to be your hands and feet to a world that desperately needs your favor. So right now, Lord God, as we respond in faith, would your spirit comfort us and move us and give us confidence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.